Chapter Eleven of the Iron Horse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Iron Horse by Robert Michael Ballantyne. Chapter Eleven. Sharp Practice Continued. Mr. Sharp had several peculiarities which, at first sight, might have puzzled a stranger. He was peculiar in his choice of routes by which to reach a given spot appearing frequently to prefer devious difficult and unfrequented paths to straight and easy roads in the time of his visits to various places too he was peculiarly irregular and seemed rather to enjoy taking people by surprise on the present occasion his chief peculiarity appeared to be a desire to approach the station by a roundabout road in carrying out his plans he went round the corner of a house from which point of view he observed a goods train standing near a goods shed with an engine attached in order to reach it he had the choice of two routes one of these was through a little wicket gate near to which a night watchman was stationed for the shades of evening were by that time descending on the scene the other was through a backyard round by a narrow lane and over a paling which it required more than an average measure of strength and agility to leap mr sharp chose the latter route what were palings and narrow lanes and insecure footing and deepening gloom to him why he rejoiced in such conditions he didn't like easy work he abhorred a bed of roses not that he had ever tried one although it is probable that he had often enjoyed a couch of grass straw or nettles rugged circumstances were his glory it was as needful for him to encounter such in his winnowing processes as it is for the harrow to encounter stones in preparing the cultivated field moving quietly but swiftly round by the route before mentioned mr sharp came suddenly on the night watchman good evening jim evening sir keep your eyes open to-night jim we must find out who it is that has taken such a fancy to apples of late i will sir i'll keep a sharp lookout it was jim's duty to watch that locality of the line where large quantities of goods of all descriptions were unavoidably left to wait for a few hours on sidings such watchmen are numerous on all lines and very necessary as well as valuable men most of them are fellows who hold the idea of going to rest at regular hours in quiet contempt men who sleep at any time of the night or day that chances to be most convenient and who think no more of a hand-to-hand -hand scuffle with a big thief or a burglar than they do of eating supper nevertheless like every other class of men in this wicked world there are black sheep amongst them too is that train going up to the station just now jim asked mr sharp pointing to the engine whose gentle simmering told of latent energy ready for immediate use i believe so sir i'll go up with her good night mr sharp crossed the line and going towards the engine found that the driver and fireman were not upon it he knew however that they could not be far off probably looking after something connected with their train and that they would be back immediately he climbed up to the footplate and sat down on the rail he there became reflective and recalled with some degree of amusement as well as satisfaction some of the more recent incidents of his vocation he smiled as he remembered how not very far from where he sat he had on a cloudy evening got into a horse-box and boring a hole in it with a gimlet applied his either too his satellite david blunt doing the same in another end of the same horse-box and how having thus obtained a clear view of a truck in which several casks of wine were placed he beheld one of the servants on the line in company with one of his friends who was not a servant on the line coolly bore a hole in one of the wine casks and insert a straw and by that means obtain a prolonged and evidently satisfactory draught 
which accounted at once for the fact that wine had been leaking in that locality for some time past and that the said servant had been seen more than once in a condition that was deemed suspicious mr sharp also reflected complacently and he had time to reflect for the driver and fireman were rather long of coming on another case in which the thieves were so wary that for a long time he could make nothing of them although their depredations were confined to a train that passed along the line at a certain hour but at last were caught in consequence of his hitting on a plan of having a van specially prepared for himself he smiled again almost laughed when he thought of this van how it was regularly locked and labelled on a quiet siding how a plank was loosened in the bottom of it by which means he got into it and was then shunted out and attached to the train so that neither guard nor driver nor fireman had any idea of what was inside how he thereafter bored several small gimlet holes in the various sides of the van and kept a sharp lookout from station to station as they went along how at last he came to the particular place not a station but a place where a short pause was made where the wary thieves were how he saw them two stout fellows approach in the gloom of evening and begin the wicked work of cutting tarpaulins and abstracting goods how he thereupon lifted his plank and dropped out on the line and how he powerfully astonished them by laying his hands on their collars and taking them both in the very act at last mr sharp's entertaining reflections were interrupted by the approach of the driver of the engine who carried a top-coat over his left arm as he drew near and observed who stood upon his engine the man gave an involuntary and scarcely perceptible start there must have been something peculiarly savage and ungenerous in the breast of mr sharp one would have thought to induce him to suspect a man whose character was blameless but he did suspect that man on the faith of that almost imperceptible touch of discomposure and his suspicion did not dissipate although the man came boldly and respectfully forward ho ho thought mr sharp there is more chaff here to be winnowed than i had bargained for his only remark however was good evening i suppose you start for the station in a few minutes yes sir said the man moving towards the rear of the tender you'd better get up at once then said mr sharp descending quickly what have you got there my good man my top coat sir said the driver with a confused look ah oh, let us see ah oh, what's all this a salmon a brace of grouse and a pair of rabbits well you seem to have provided a good supper for to-night there don't appear to be very stringent game laws where you come from the man was so taken aback that he could not reply as the fireman came out of the neighboring goods shed at that moment mr sharp ordered the driver to mount to his place and then waiting beside the engine received the fireman with an amiable good night this man also had a top coat over his arm betrayed the same uneasiness in observing mr sharp went through precisely the same examination and was found to have made an identically similar provision for his supper almost immediately after him the guard issued from the shed also burdened with a top coat Mr. Sharp muttered something about birds of a feather, and was about to advance to meet the guard when that individual's eyes fell on him. He turned back at once, not in a hurry, but quietly, as though he had forgotten something. The superintendent sprang through the open door, but was too late. The guard had managed to drop his booty. Thereupon Mr. Sharp returned to the engine, ordered the steam to be turned on, and the driver drove himself and his friends to the station into condign punishment. having disposed of this little incidental case mr sharp after hearing and commenting upon several matters related to him by the members of his corps and having ordered david blunt to await him in the office as he had a job for him that night returned towards the locality which he had so recently quitted in doing this he took advantage of another goods train 
from which he dropped at a certain hole-and-corner spot while it was slowly passing the goods shed before mentioned from this spot he took an observation and saw the pipe of jim the night watchman glowing in the dark distance like a star of the first magnitude how thought mr sharp smoking you'll have to clear your eyes of smoke if you hope to catch thieves to-night my fine fellow but i shall try to render you some able assistance so thinking he moved quietly about among the vans and trucks stooping and climbing as occasion required and doing it all so noiselessly that had the night permitted him to be visible at all he might have been mistaken for a stout shadow or a ghost he went about somewhat like a retriever snuffing the air for game at last he reached a truck not very far from the place where jim paced slowly to and fro watching no doubt for thieves little did he think how near he was to a thief at that moment the trunk beside which mr sharp stood sent forth a delicious odor of american apples the superintendent of police smelt them worse than that he undid a corner of the thick covering of the track raised it and smelt again he put in a hand evidently his powers of resistance to temptation were small for both hands went in he stooped his head and then slowly but surely his whole body went in under the cover and disappeared infatuated superintendent while he lay there gorging himself no doubt with the dainty fruit honest jim paced slowly to and fro until a very dark and quiet hour of the night having arrived he deemed it time to act put out his pipe and moved with stealthy tread towards the apple truck there were no thieves about as far as he could see he was placed there for the express purpose of catching thieves ridiculous waste of time and energy he would make a thief he would become one he would detect and catch himself repay himself with apples for his trouble and enjoy himself consumedly noble idea no sooner thought than carried into effect he drew out a large clasp knife which opened and locked with a click and cut a tremendous slash about two feet long in the cover of the truck passing in so doing within an inch of the demoralized superintendent's nose thieves you see are not particular unless indeed we may regard them as particularly indifferent to the injuries they inflict on their fellow-men but what did we say their fellow-men a railway is not a fellow-man surely jim's sin in robbing a railway must be regarded as a venial one honest men do that every day and appear to think nothing of it nobody appears to think anything of it a railway would seem to be the one great unpardonable outlaw of the land which does good to nobody and is deemed fair game by everybody who can catch it napping but it is not easily caught napping neither was mr superintendent sharp jim's hand came through the hole in the covering and entered some sort of receptacle which must have been broken open by somebody for the hand was quickly withdrawn with three apples in it again it entered mr sharp might have kissed it easily but he was a man of considerable self-restraint at least when others were concerned he thought it advisable that there should be some of the stolen goods found in jim's pockets he did not touch the hand therefore while it was drawn back with other three apples in it you see it was a large hand and could hold three at a time a third time it entered and grasped more of the forbidden fruit there's luck in odd numbers thought mr sharp as he seized the rest with both of his iron hands and held it fast the appalling yell which jim uttered was due more to superstitious dread than physical fear for on discovering that the voice which accompanied the grip was that of mr sharp he struggled powerfully to get free after the first violent effort was over mr sharp suddenly slid one hand along jim's arm caught him by the collar and launching himself through the hole which had been cut so conveniently large plunged into jim's bosom and crushed him to the earth 
this was quite sufficient for jim who got up meekly when permitted and pleaded for mercy mr sharp told him that mercy was a commodity in which he did not deal that it was the special perquisite of judges from whom he might steal it if they would not give or sell it to him and bidding him come along quietly led him to the station and locked him up for the night not satisfied with what he had already accomplished mr sharp then returned to his office where he found the faithful blunt awaiting him to whom he related briefly what he had done now said he in conclusion if we can only manage to clear up that case of the beer cask we shall have done a good stroke of business to-day have you found out anything in regard to it the case to which mr sharp referred was that of a cask of beer which had been stolen from the line at a station not three miles distant from clatterby yes sir said david blunt with a satisfied smile i have found out enough to lead to the detection of the thief indeed who do you think it is one of the men at the station sir there have been two about it but the other is a stranger you see sir continued blunt with an earnest look and in a business tone of voice when you sent me down to investigate the case i went direct to the station-master there and heard all he had to say about it which wasn't much then off i goes to where the truck was standing from which the cask had been taken and pottered about there for some time at last i tried on the red indian dodge followed up tracks and signs till at last i came upon a mark as if something had been rolled along the bank and soon traced it to a gap broken through a hedge into a field i followed it up in the field and in a short time came on the cask itself of course i made a careful examination of the locality and found very distinct footprints particularly one of them on a piece of clay as sharp as if it had been struck in wax while thus engaged i found a shoe ha huh, exclaimed mr sharp and here it is said blunt taking the shoe from under his chair and laying it on the table the superintendent took it up examined it and then replaced it on the table with a nod saying proceed well sir of course i looked well for the other shoe but didn't find it so i came away with what i had got taking care to place a lump of a stone over the footprint in the clay so as to guard but not touch it for it wasn't the print of this shoe sir though somewhat like it ha huh, exclaimed mr sharp again after revolving the matter in his mind for some minutes and consulting with his satellite mr sharp resolved to go down at once to the place and watch the beer cask it is not very late yet he said and these thirsty boys will be sure to want a drop of beer to their supper to-night what makes you so sure that bill jones is the thief because answered blunt i observed that he was the only man at the station that had on a pair of new shoes well come along said sharp smiling grimly we shall find out before long they soon reached the scene of the robbery and were able to examine the place by the light of the moon which had just managed to pierce the thick veil of clouds that had covered it during the earlier part of that night then they retired to a shady cavern or hole or hollow at the foot of the embankment near to the gap in the hedge and there they prepared to pass the night with a heap of mingled clods and stones for their couch and an overhanging bank of nettles for their canopy it was a long weary watch that began there these patient men sat hour after hour gazing at the moon and stars till they almost fell asleep and then entering into animated though softly uttered conversation until they roused themselves up it was strange converse too about struggles and fights with criminals and the detection of crime 
but it was not all on such subjects no they forsook the professional path occasionally and strayed as pleasantly as other men do into the flowery lanes of social life talking of friends and wives and children and home with as much pathos and tenderness as if their errand that night had been to succor some comrade in distress instead of to watch like wolves and pounce on unawares and have throttle if need be and bear off to punishment an erring fellow-mortal but no fellow-mortal came that night to be thus pounced on throttled and borne off when it became obvious that there was no use in remaining longer mr sharp and his satellite returned to the office and the former bade the latter go home for the night the satellite thus set free went home and sat immediately in his bed the luminary himself postponed his setting for a time put the thief's shoe in his pocket and went straight to the residence of bill jones which he reached shortly after the gray dawn had appeared here he found bill in bed but being peremptory in his demand for admission bill arose and let him in you look rather pale this morning bill been at work late sir said bill uneasily observing that the superintendent was casting an earnest glance all round his room jones was a bachelor so there wasn't much of any kind to look at in the room you've been treating yourself to a new pair of shoes i see jones what have you done with the old ones i they're worn out sir i yes i see ah here's one of them said mr sharp drawing an old shoe out of a corner you don't require to look for the other i've got it here he added drawing its fellow from his pocket jones stood aghast look here jones said mr sharp gazing sternly into the culprit's face you needn't trouble yourself to deny the theft i haven't yet looked at the sole of this shoe but i'll engage to tell how many tackets are in it we have discovered a little lump of clay down near the station with a perfect impression of a sole having fifteen tackets therein three being wanting on the right side two on the left and one at the toe now let us see he said turning it up am i not a good prophet eh? bill gave in at once he not only made a clean breast of it but also gave information that led to the capture of his accomplice before that day's sun went down and before mr sharp allowed himself to go to bed thus did our superintendent winnow the chaff from the wheat continually now dear reader do not say from all this it would appear that railway servants must be a bad lot of men it would be a thousand pities to fail into such an error when we are laboring to prove to you the very reverse namely that the bad ones being continually and well looked after none but the good are left our aim necessarily involves that we should dilate much on evil so that the evil unavoidably bulks large in your eyes but if we were capable of laying before you all the good that is done felt and said by the thousands of our true-hearted men of the line the evil that is mingled with them would shrink into comparative insignificance the truth is that in writing these details we desire to reassure ourselves, as well as to comfort you o timid railway traveller by asserting and illustrating the unquestionable fact that if our dangers on the line are numerous and great our safeguards at all points are far more numerous and much greater End of chapter 11. Sharp practice continued.